I'm the lead pastor here, I guess is what they call that, which means the biggest problems land up on my desk. That's the way it works. We've been in a series since just after Easter, where we've been exploring, well, you know, I think often we, we, we look at, at what does it really take to walk with God? What does it mean to live as a Christian, to walk by, you know, with God? And often we think the only thing that's really required is faith. The only thing that's really required in order for me to live with God, to live for God, is faith. And one of the things we've been learning since just after Easter, as we've been exploring the book of Proverbs, is that we realize that faithfulness, walking with God day in and day out, takes more than just faith. It also takes wisdom. If we don't live our lives wisely, we are going to derail our faithfulness no matter how much faith we have in God, that those two things go together. In order for you and I to be faithful, to be people who walk with God in, you know, day in and day out in our journey, it requires great faith, but it also takes great wisdom. I think that's part of what Solomon sensed when he took over the role of being the king of the nation of Israel. He had faith in God, but as he was making these day-to-day decisions to lead the people of God as the king, he realized, you know, it, it takes more than faith to be able to do this. And so when God gave him the opportunity to request a blank check, when God said, Solomon, you can make any request to me, I'm going to give it to you, what Solomon asked for was wisdom. Because he knew that living faithfully was going to take more than the faith that he had. It was also going to take great wisdom. And when God gave him the wisdom, all the rest of the things that he really longed for kind of flowed in behind it. God even said, you know, you've asked for wisdom. I'm honored by that. I'm going to give that to you. But you've got to know that what's going to come with that is going to be prosperity and security and success. And so as we think about walking with God on a daily basis and the fact that it takes great faith, but it also takes great wisdom, If we're really honest with ourselves, we've got to recognize that somewhere along the line, that means it's got to intersect with the way that we handle wealth or money or the stuff of our lives. Let me ask you a question. Take a little poll here. How many of you don't think, all right, we're going to put this in the negative first. How many of you don't think that there's really connection between the material and the spiritual? That the stuff in our lives really isn't related to our faith, to our spiritual lives. How many of you think that? All right. How many of you think there is a connection between the financial, the stuff of our lives, and our faithfulness? All right. How many of you are just too chicken to answer? Just put that up. (laughs) And I know it's it's an interesting question, and and I'm going to try to make the argument today from the scriptures, I'm not, trying to ma- I'm not making this up on my own. This isn't my own agenda. I think this is what God's trying to share with us. I'm going to try to make the case to you today that, that if we do not follow God's principles related to the stuff in our lives, our wealth, then our lack of financial freedom will land up being a competitor to our desire to be faithful to God. That the way that you manage your stuff And being in a position where you have a certain level of financial freedom is actually connected to whether or not you you have these increased challenges to being faithful to God. Now, it's always a touchy thing when we start talking about 
wealth and faith. You know, because in some ways they are not connected, and in other ways they are connected. Typical preacher speak, right? Give you an answer that's yes and no to the same question, right? There's, there's a no side of it in the sense that, you know, well, let me just pull out some teaching of the Apostle Paul. You know, if you're not familiar with the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul was one of those guys who believed that the, the emergence of the church, people who believed that God had revealed himself in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, and that Jesus really was the Son of God, that he died on a cross in our place, and that by placing our faith in him, we could be forgiven of our sins. Paul was one of those guys at the beginning who believed that that was the greatest form of heresy that had ever developed in the world. And he committed his life to stomping out, to crushing Christianity, all until the moment that he had an encounter with the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, where he was going to try to crush another church. And from that moment on, he dedicated his life to walking with God. And later, as he was beginning to kind of realize that his time of ministry was going to end, he was writing to one of his, his young protégés, the guy who was going to kind of take over ministry after him, a young man by the name of Timothy. And he said, Timothy, he said, you know, there are people in the church who think that godliness is a means for, for material gain. This is in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and it's in your notes if you just want to circle it. And, 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 and he's saying, you know, they think that somehow getting closer to God is going to kind of open up and it's just going to be the way that they're going to become wealthy. So they're trying to use their faith as a leverage to becoming rich. So that's not the way it works. In God's eyes, that's anathema. So there is a disconnect between our financial freedom, our wealth, if you will, and godliness. But there's another side in which it's clearly connected that, you know, Solomon over and over again says, you know, in the house of the righteous, there are great treasures. And, and some of that is definitely non-material, but some of it is material. And so we want to explore this kind of issue of where, where, where does faith and financial freedom really kind of connect? How is it that those things are intended to work hand in hand to allow us to be in a position where we really can live by faith and to live wisely in this world? And we're going to explore this over several weeks. So, which means next week's attendance will be a lot lower than this week. I understand that. So one of my final challenges to you today is that if you can't make next week or the week after to come and at least listen to it online, all right? Because this is not a topic that a lot of us like. And it's not a topic that, as a church, we explore a lot into because there's something that seems just kind of, I don't know, it just kind of seems a little sordid, if you will, to be talking about money when we're talking about God and all those other kinds of things. But I, and so we're going to try to look at financial freedom, and today we're going to try to look specifically how and how financial freedom is connected to faithfulness. Next week, we're going to try to explore, at least to a certain extent, what does it take to really be financially free? And then the last week, we're going to talk about everybody's favorite subject, one of the major crushers of our, of our faithfulness, our, our, our financial freedom, and that's the issue of debt. You know, and, and we just live in a world that we leverage everything by debt. And so um, let me start today with, with this. See, I think one of the reasons why we struggle with this issue, spiritually, is that we think about financial freedom as about being, getting ourselves into a position where we can live the way we want to live. And that's not God's agenda for our financial freedom at all. 
God's agenda for our financial freedom is not so you and I can get to a place where we have enough wiggle room in our finances that we can finally do life the way we want to do life. God's agenda for our financial freedom is that actually so that you and I can be in a position where we can do what God's called us to do and we can follow him where God wants us to go. And let me just show you a couple of scriptures, and then I'll make some points related to this. So this is picking up with your outlines, and which is on the backside of your, your bulletins. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn to Proverbs, the book of Proverbs with us. I think it's far more powerful when you see it in black and white rather than just kind of what I have. But, you know, me reading it to you out loud. And if, you're using, if you didn't bring one of your own Bibles, um, there's a Bible right underneath your seat. And you can grab that and open it up. And, and the book of Proverbs starts on page 532 in our pew Bibles. One of the reasons why it's great to bring your own Bible, it's a place where you can circle a scripture verse if you want to or make a note in the margin or underline. And we really don't want you to do that in our pew Bibles, right? Because somebody else might use it down the road. So, but it's great for you to be able to do that on your own as, as we move through. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 16. So this is, as we start out, this will kind of be our beginning point. We're, we're going to move around today. So you may want to lick your fingers, be able to turn the pages faster and that kind of idea. And, um, and it, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 16. Now again, this is God speaking to us through the pen of Solomon, this individual that God has given this divine endowment to be able to see wisdom as it and wise living as it intersects with our faith to allow us to be faithful. And I know I'm pulling a lot of stuff there together, but I'm trying to make sure we just don't make this a message about money, but we make this a message about walking with God. Look what he says in verse 16. He says, the labor of the righteous leads to life. I really like what he says, the way the New Living Translation puts this, a different translation of the same verse. It says, the earnings of the godly enhance their lives. Chapter 28, verse 20 tells us that the the righteous, the faithful man will have many blessings. And whoever trusts in the Lord, in verse 25 of chapter 28, the Lord will prosper. So there's this idea that, that God will bring resources into our lives, the required resources in our lives, that we get to a place where we have enough elbow room, if you will, so that we have some financial freedom. And the reason he wants to do so is because sometimes following after him and doing what God asks us to do as his children requires that you and I have some financial freedom. Let me give you a couple of examples that just stand out of my, my background, right? You know, um, just several things. I've had several experiences over the years where I've encountered guys who said, you know what? There was a time in my life, I still feel, that God has called me into Christian vocational ministry. You know, I I had one of these clear moments where God just planted this this, uh, burden on my heart, this desire on my heart that, that you know, being a church, good church member is great. Being a Christian out in the secular world is a great place working in there. But God has specifically decided to set me aside to do vocational ministry. And yet they weren't doing vocational ministry. And you know what the number one answer that they give is? It says, I can't afford to work at that level of pay because of all the other financial commitments that I have. So here's a person who doesn't have the financial freedom to be able to do what God's asked them to do and to follow after them. Other examples. 
I, you know, I wouldn't say this is a common occurrence, but it's not an infrequent occurrence. I see individuals, I see families. God, God's moving in their lives. They're growing in their faith. Good things are happening. The family's growing. This is often with younger folks. And, 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 and they just feel like they need to step up and they need to buy a bigger house and do these other kinds of things. And the next thing you know, that they're, they're, they need to take out a second job to be able to afford all this stuff. And, and now here's, a, here's an individual that was growing in their faith, connected to the church, serving in, a, in some kind of a life group, small group, Bible study experience, really growing, maturing. And now all of a sudden they have no time on their hands and they just disappear from the kingdom. And you never, ever see them again. Lack of spiritual freedom financial freedom, competes with God's call for them to be connected with the body. Some of you have had this experience as well. We're, we're doing a special offering here, you know, for maybe it's to help, you know, um, respond to a disaster that's happened someplace in the world, or maybe we're taking up an offering for a special mission project that we're doing. And some of you position, you know, man, I wish I could help, but I just can't. I just don't, I don't have the money to do that. And, and, and there are sometimes our lack of financial freedom actually gets in our way of being able to do what it is that God's asked us to do and to follow him where he asks us to go. And so God, part of God's plan is I want you to be in a place where you are empowered to be able to do what I ask you to do and to follow me where I want to lead you. And we're going to deep dive in that just a little bit more in just a moment but even as I'm talking about those things, here's, here's what I want you to know. Financial freedom is a wonderful life byproduct of following after God. But it makes for a terrible life agenda. If your purpose in life is simply to get to a place where you are financially secure, and you don't have to worry about it ever again, and that's your agenda, and that's how you drive things in your life, you're, you're really choosing an awful and an unsatisfactory um, goal for your life. It's a wonderful byproduct of being faithful and living wisely, but it's an awful life, life purpose. Right, let me just show you one verse. Proverbs chapter 23. I'll give you a page number in just a minute, but Proverbs chapter 23. If you haven't learned yet, we're going to be jumping around a lot, so keep your, your passage out in front of you. Listen, listen to what Solomon... Now, Solomon... He had a pretty hefty bank account. He's pretty wealthy, right? Probably the richest man of his era, right? And listen to what he says in verses 4 and 5. God shares, says, says, don't wear yourself out to get rich. Don't wear yourself out to get rich. Stop giving attention to it. As soon as your eyes uh, fly to it, as soon as you fixate on it and say, this is, this is what i got to accomplish now. This is what my life purpose is, is get to a place where I'm rich, where I'm financially secure. It says it disappears. And for, for it makes wings for itself and flies away like an eagle. <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things that you think you just got there and you can feel it. And, and, and over and over again, you can look at people's lives. And people who are financially successful, they're not any happier than the people who aren't. The people who are truly happiest are the ones who have created, no matter what, what economic strata they fit in, they've created the financial freedom in their lives by following God that they're actually able to do and to follow God in the things that he asked them to do. And, and so as we explore this a little bit, this isn't a, me- this isn't a message about money. 
This is the message about managing the wealth that God wants to bring into our lives as a result of living wisely and, and being faithful to Him, walking by faith, to use those things as something that empower our faithfulness rather than compete with it. And so here are some of the reasons why God wants us to manage what He's given us, and we'll talk a little bit more about how to do that next week. But I, I want to give you the basis for why this is... Why is it that financial freedom... Some security, where we're not just crushed by our finances, governed by them. Why is it that that's important or somehow a part of being able to be faithful to God? And I want to give you four reasons. And these, again, are in your outline. And the very first one is that when you and I have some level of financial freedom in our lives, we have some elbow room in our finances, it allows us to navigate life's storms. You know, do you know that the Bible kind of actually teaches that Murphy's Law is biblical? That what can go wrong will go wrong? You know, how did Jesus conclude the story, the, the, his message on the Sermon on the Mount? You know, at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, there's this famous teaching of Jesus where he's up on the mountainside, the masses have gathered together, and he's teaching them the truth. And as he gets down to the end, he says, you know what? He says, there's going to there's be two different types of people that are listening to my message today. They're going to be wise folks. They're going to hear what I say, they're going to do it, and they're going to like people who have built their, li- their, their houses, built their lives on a solid foundation. There's others of you, you're going to hear this, you're not going to follow it, and it's like you're building your life and uh, your house on, on the sand, and guess what? The storm's going to come. The rain's going to fall, the river's going to rise, the wind's going to blow, and the flood's going to come. I got home yesterday, with Christine and I spent a couple of days up north at, at the place that we have there, and... and and down the middle of my driveway was a long line of rocks because I've had water spilling over from the street into my driveway, washing away the side of my, my driveway. So I just filled it in with these small stones. Well, it didn't work very well because it just created a line, just washed away with it. Some of us, that's our lives, right? Stuff comes into our lives and it just carries us along. And, and Jesus, so that, that's part of the experience that's going to come. And Jesus says, I want you to be ready for that. And what Solomon teaches us, as God gives him this wisdom, is that you and I to need to be ready for those moments when the difficult stuff's going to come. Now, where do I find that in the book of Proverbs? Let me just give you one verse. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 15. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 15. This is on page 539. Listen to these verses. A rich... Man's wealth is his fortified city. The poverty of the poor is their destruction. Let me just unpack that just a little bit. What he's saying is that life is going to do battle with you. Life is going to do battle with you. And part of the resources that those who have created financial margin in their lives, have managed things in a way to be ready for those moments, is that it, it actually serves as something that fortifies us against the challenges that are going to come into our lives. And those things are going to come. I mean, I remember when we were pastoring down the South Shore, you know, um, I had this little Volkswagen Rabbit. 
diesel engine. You could hear it coming. It was a little car that could, you know. It was actually really great in the snow. But, you know, it had been my mom's car. My dad was retiring. They were trying to figure out the next thing. Say, hey, you know what, we're not going to get her a nice car. We'll buy this Volkswagen. We moved back up about a year and a half later, two years later. So then they gave it to me. We're several years into this. And so I'm driving home from a meeting. at our. At, we had just moved into a church building. And I'm driving home from a meeting. And, and I'm you know, buzzing along the side road, doing about 35 miles an hour, maybe 40, but probably 35, right? And, 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 and all of a sudden, the car just starts coasting. There's no more acceleration. There's no more power. The engine's running great. And I'm pressing on the pedal, and, you know, and, 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 and it's not going anywhere. Well, I, you know, this is a front-wheel drive. And lo and behold, you know that when they say it's a front-wheel drive, they really mean it's a one-wheel drive, right? There's only power to one wheel. And the drive shaft had gone. And and we were one of, I mean, I was making a whopping $18,000 a year, you know, and, and, you know, that included my retirement, my medical benefits, everything, right? We didn't have any money, you know, and so, so I was too cheap to call a tow truck. I'm stuck on the side of the road, so I called Christina down there. We hooked up a chain between our other car and this one, and I don't think that's actually legal, but she towed me to the repair shop, you know, and, and when a bill came in, it's like, we don't have the money to pay that. You know, and fortunately, we had enough credit. We put it on our credit card, and we go to taken care of. But for some of us, that's the experience that happens over and over again, right? Life storms come. And then all of a sudden, what was a little bit of debt becomes a lot of debt. And the next thing you know, you're just overwhelmed by it all. And listen, life storms come. How about layoffs? You know, we play some of the memory tapes of some of the people that you know. They get laid off. The next thing you know, they have no financial margin in their lives at all, and all of a sudden their mortgage is up for grabs and the whole nine yards, and, and they're just, they may lose their house and all that kind of stuff, and, 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 and it just crushes in. And, and one of the reasons why God offers to us the wisdom to be able to manage our stuff in a way that, that with wisdom is that we can build in enough financial margin so that when the moments come, we can actually navigate the storms of life, the financial storms of life, without having to change our financial, our spiritual rhythms or habits. Because often, you know, folks will, they'll get into a crisis, and, and I had a guy tell me one time, he said, you know, we've been forced to move twice in the last year, and he said, you know, I put all this money into these different things. He says, I, I just don't have any money to give to God. And so I just, we're just not giving. And, and so life's storm had interrupted his Spirit. Many of you, as, as I've talked to you off and on, you, you'd say, you know what, I give, but I know I don't give what I'm supposed to, but I don't think I can. Your financial freedom is competing, your lack of financial freedom is competing with your desire to be faithful. And, and that's a part of the whole navigation story. The worst, worst encounter that I ever had of this was when I first started serving in a denominational network, one of our sister groups, another regional group, they had a guy who came on their staff. He, he was a, a pastor who was designate, designated to work with churches that spoke, didn't speak English. And he was a good guy. But as they relocated to their new area, he got stuff, whatever. His family really just kind of pushed the margin of all the money that they had. And he wasn't making a lot of money. Believe it or not, you don't make a lot of money in denominational ministry. And, and, and then they had some crises come. Washing machine broke refrigerator broke, and he was just at a position where he, he, he didn't have any ways to be able to leverage that 
outside of using the credit card that the convention had given him to use. And it was a corporate credit card. And so he, he just figured, you know what, I'm going to buy this and next paycheck, when the bill comes in, I'll just take care of all of it. That never happened. And, and, you know, if he had just gone to them and said, you know, he, he was a good guy. He acted unwisely. If he had just gone to them and said, listen, I'm in a, a spot. I need a, I need a couple thousand dollars to be able to do this. They would have loaned him the money, and he could have just paid it back as he went. But instead, he went in this other direction, and, it, and, it, and it, he ended up having to leave the ministry because he had, he had misused the trust that they had given him. God wants us to build in financial freedom into our lives so that it doesn't compete with our faithfulness when we hit those moments where life's storms hit us. Here's a second truth. The reason God wants us to build in financial margin, freedom into our lives, to have a control of it where our faith is governing it, and I'm saying lots of different ways, trying to ring a bell with, with you, is that God wants us to be people who are in a position to be generous. Ge- God wants us to be people who are generous, who are in a position to be able to give to others. Now, just look at a couple of, uh, of uh, scriptures with us. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24. We were just in Proverbs chapter 10. If you're still there, it's just one page over. Listen, listen to what... So Now, these are not promises, but these are the way things usually work. They're Proverbs. God shares with us. says, one person gives freely, yet they gain all the more. And another withholds what is right, what they should be in a position to give, what they should give. And when they do so, all they do is become poor. God has built in a system to his economy where generosity somehow or another is a part of the way he brings prosperity. I don't understand all of that. Look at chapter 19, verse 17. Kindness to the poor is a loan to the Lord. And he will reward he will give a reward to the lender. Kindness to the, to the poor is a loan to the Lord, and he will give a reward to the lender. And we could go on and look at Proverbs chapter 3, where it talks about honoring God with our possessions, bringing the first fruit of our produce in. And with that, God will, 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 will fill our barns, and our vats will be overflown with new wine. And God has built into a, a piece of being faithful to God is to be in a position where you can be generous to others. I mean, I don't know if we really see it that way, but clearly the Scripture teaches us that God expects His people to be in a position to help those who are in need. And so part of being faithful, doing what God asks us to do, right, in order for you and I to be the Good Samaritan who can hunker the money out of our own pocket and pay for the care of the guy who's beat up left on the side of the road is that we actually have to have money in our pocket to be able to do that. And if we don't do that, we don't have any financial freedom in our lives and there's no room. We really can't be the generous people that God wants us to be. We can't even give the way God wants us to be. It's interesting that this passage in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 that I just quoted about honoring the Lord with your first possessions, it was interesting that, that when the people of God came back from exile from Babylon. So the southern kingdom, after, after Solomon, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom split off, doing a little 
Old Testament history for you here, right? So the southern kingdom was Judah and Benjamin, just two tribes. And, that's, and, the, and that, that emerged as the nation of Judah. And they were the last ones that God sent into exile. And they went to a place called Babylon. And, and then they were eventually co- conquered by the Persians. And so in the midst of that, God allowed a group to come back to Jerusalem. And, in the, in the, and when you come to the prophet Haggai, so some of you, just be grateful your parents didn't name you Haggai, right? You know, you know, but, and, and, but so Haggai is one of these little, little prophets at the end of the Old Testament. The only way you're going to find it in your Bible is that you actually use the index because it's only like two pages long, right? So if you're trying to flick through and find it, it's not like trying to find Matthew, right? Because you just got, you got a chance only two pages to find in Haggai, right? It's just a small little book. But the people are coming before God and they're saying, hey, what's up with this? I mean, we're, 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 we followed you back here. We're trying to rebuild the land. We're planting our crops and we're getting nothing. We're, we're, we're nurturing our vineyards and there's never any new wine in the vats. What is the problem? And what God says to him, he says, you know, listen, let's, let's back up and look at the big picture. He said, you guys are living in houses that you've built. Not only that, you've remodeled them. Now your houses are all paneled. They look great. He said, but look at, look at my house. Look at the temple. It still lays in ruins. Amen. You know, you haven't put anything into it. And there's no generosity that's coming out of it. It's all focused in, man, I have so much need for my own family. And they haven't built in any financial freedom. And then they wondered why they weren't being prosperous as they planted their gardens and tried to raise up their vineyards. And so God wants us to be people who are generous. He wants us to keep ourselves in a position where we can give and make a difference in the lives of others. Third truth, and this is somewhat connected to the previous one. God can use our financial freedom to leverage our spiritual influence. God can use our financial freedom to leverage our spiritual influence. Just look at chapter 19. I just want to look at a couple of verses there. Chapter 19, verses 4 and 6. It's page 547, if you're following along in your pew Bibles. <coughs> While you turn your pages, I'll take a sip of water. This is what Proverbs, this is what Solomon tells us. It's God's granted him great wisdom. He says, wealth attracts many friends, right? But a poor man is separated from his friend. Pop down one more verse, chapter 6. Many seek the favor of a ruler, and everyone is a friend of the one who gives gifts. So when you and I are in a position to be able to give, it draws friends to us, and it allows us to be in a position of kingdom influence. Jesus talked a lot about the same thing, right? You know, in that Sermon on the Mount that I mentioned earlier in Matthews 5, 6, and 7, Jesus said, you know what? You are the light of the world. He says, you know, a city set on a hill, it can't be hidden. He says, nor do men light a lamp and put it underneath a, a, a basket so nobody can see the light, but instead they put it up in a lampstand so that everybody can see it. So then he says, so let your light shine before men that they can see your good deeds and glorify your father who's in heaven he wants what we do what we're able to do with what he's given us to actually have an impact on changing the world and bringing honor to him he wants our stuff not only the way we live our lives but the way we use what we have the financial freedom that's built to be a leverage that we can use to build the kingdom let me let me just tell you how this has been operative in my own life 
Some of you know little bits and pieces of the story, but for the first 20 years that I was in ministry, every single aspect of what I did was resourced by somebody I met one time when I was three years old. The guy's name was Cecil B. Day, and he was the guy who started the Days In chain. He's long been dead. He's been dead for over 30 years now, died of cancer fairly young. But when he started his, his business and it began to prosper, he made a commitment to tithe off of their corporate income, and he put it into a foundation. And it was called the Cecil B. Day Foundation, still operative today. Uh, in fact, I, one of the guys who, who works with some of that was in my office just a couple of months ago. His name is Woody White. Um, and, and, and every single aspect of my ministry for the first 20 years was impacted by the Cecil B. Day Foundation, somebody who leveraged their financial freedom for the kingdom. When I was in college and I was thinking about doing ministry, I, I, I said, you know what, I, I, I really felt like I should just kind of check it out for a summer. So I, I, wanted to, I stayed as, a, as an intern, if you will, in my college days in the state of Maine, working with the church that I was a part of while I was in college, just for the summer. And, I, you know, I made a whopping like 12 cents an hour or something, but, I, I, you know, the money that came to make that possible came from the Cecil B. Day Foundation. And God used that experience to really confirm in me that, that I was, that, that he was readying me for ministry. When I was in seminary, um, Christina and I came home after my first year of seminary to get married. We were going to school in Texas and, and um, and, and, I, I, and so we came back to New England to get married in the summer of 1984. And so I was looking for a ministry role. I just didn't want to go and just kind of you know, um, move pipe around like I used to do when I was in college with my dad. I was studying ministry. So the Cecil B. Day Foundation came alongside and made resources available for me to serve with the group of churches in Boston for a summer. My primary assignment was to be the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Chelsea. This was a church, big, huge, old stone building, about 15 people with about 30 children. It was just, it was bedlam on Sunday mornings. All these kids showed up without any parents and et cetera. And that's what I did for the summer. But they were a part of that. And God just really confirmed a lot of things out of that. Brought college students to work uh, from the ministry we're doing in Texas to work with the churches in Boston and some of the campus ministries while I was there. And the Cecil B. Day Foundation was a part of all of that. And then, then when I came back to plant the church on the South Shore in Hanover, they, they were one of the primary funders of, of the salary that I had to be able to start that. And, and here's a guy who leveraged his financial freedom. Now, not all of you are able to set up a foundation that can give millions of dollars a year away to kingdom ministry. But sometimes, even just on smaller levels, it makes a huge difference. I, I know one of, the, one of the leaders that we have in our church, one of the biggest impacts that was made on him in coming to Christ, somebody had been around the gospel quite a bit, didn't really want to have a lot to do with church, tolerated a few services a year, that kind of thing. But when they get in a moment where they had real financial need, and somebody here at Hope Chapel was aware of it, they gave them a financial gift anonymously. It just blew him away. And that really began to change his perspective on how the gospel can do things. And God wants to use what we have to leverage our spiritual influence. You, you're aware of the fact that I go to Rwanda every single year. And there's a lot of small, I mean, the projects, like with the, all the scholarships we do for pastors and things, it, it's about a $20,000 a year project 
to go over there, pay for the pastors to come in, pay for their stay, pay for all their food, provide the scholarships, all that kind of stuff. And, and there's a lot of smaller donors who give to that. But the core of it, there's been two or three guys I can count on for about $5,000 a piece through all of those years. And the impact that it's having on the churches in Rwanda that we're getting to work with is incredible. And it's a way of leveraging that future. But, but God asks us, says, I want you to build in some elbow room to your financial lives so that you have a chance to extend your impact beyond just what you're able to do directly. And God wants us to be able to do that. And it's a powerful thing. Last truth, because my time's really running out. When you and I manage our finances according to God's wisdom and we build in that elbow room, that financial freedom, that, that wiggle room, it allows us to be in a place where our lives are not, are, are not controlled by debt. God wants our lives to be controlled by faith, not by debt. By wisdom, not by debt. Look at Proverbs chapter 22, 7. And I'm not going to say a whole lot of this because we're going to come back to this topic in a couple of weeks. But this is one of the most troubling verses in the, in the, in the book of Proverbs to me. And we'll process this a little bit in a couple of weeks. It says, it says, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. Now, suffice it to say in this context, God doesn't want us to be a slave to anybody but him not to the lender. And so there's a way in which staying out of debt, managing to stay out of debt, doing those kinds of things is part of what God wants us to do. And, 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 and we don't want our financial obligations to override what it is that God calls us to do. We don't want our, our financial commitments, our debt, to be a challenge to our faithfulness. So, so we're seeking God's wisdom on how to manage our wealth, however you want to define that, in such a way that we have enough freedom that our resources, or lack thereof, don't become a challenge to our faithfulness to Him. So what are some steps you can do based upon today? Let me give these to you just really quickly. First thing I tell you is, is a lot of us, we just need to back up and we just need to be honest. And we need to ask ourselves a question, what's governing our financial lives? Is it faith or is it something else? It could be pride. It could be materialism. It could be fear that we're never going to have enough, that kind of stuff. What is governing our financial lives and is it really God? The second thing is take a next step in building your financial freedom, building your wealth. Maybe it's paying down some debt. Maybe it's building up that rainy day fund that allows you to have that fortress around your life for when life storms come. Maybe it's somehow it's figuring out how to downsize somewhat financially so that the fortress wall doesn't have to be quite so big. There's a lot of different pieces to that, but take a next step. Figure what that out is for you. Third, just commit to spending more on others and a little less on yourself. Just begin to bring that sense of generosity by, by spending a little less on yourself and spending a little bit more on others, spending a little bit more on God's kingdom. And then the last one, and this was one a little bit self-serving because this is probably not the most popular topic with a lot of us, but is make a commitment to listen to parts two and three, which are coming up next week and the week after, all right? You know, it's, if you can't be here, I know it's summer, and you may be camping or whatever. I mean, this is great fireside stuff, right? Just download it on your phone, hook it up to the Bluetooth, and you just sit out there roasting marshmallows, having some s'mores, and you can be listening to a sermon about financial freedom. There you go. So, but just, just do those things. And, 
Listen, God has designed our lives so that we can be free to be faithful. Don't live, leave his gifts to being financially free so that you can be faithful sitting on a table. We'll make sure you take full advantage of them. Let's pray for just a minute, and we'll continue with the last aspect of our service. God, thanks for the privilege of being your children. God, thanks for being willing to grant us wisdom as we ask for it. God, show us how to be wise with our finances so that we can be free to be faithful. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.